Are secular schools safe for Christians? Welcome to Answers News for Monday, March 13th, 2023. Hello, I'm Dr. Georgia Perda. I'm here with Dr. Uh, Kaya Kloster and Patricia Engler. And today we'll be discussing Arizona School Board's decision to stop hiring from a Christian college in addition to other news stories. But let's start with our number one story. School Board votes to stop hiring from Christian college says beliefs make people unsafe. So this has to do with, uh, this is in Glendale, Arizona, which is near Phoenix. And uh, this is Arizona Christian University and the Washington School District. And basically the school district has said, we'll no longer partner with you. They were in a contract with ACU to give them like student teachers and hire from them. And they say, we're no longer going to have that contract with you because we are concerned that you are basically a Christian school that holds to Christian values and that's going to make it unsafe for any LGBTQ students that we might have. Now, Patricia, what do they mean by unsafe? I mean, has violence been perpetrated against any students? Are there been threats made? I mean, what is going on with this? Well, they definitely didn't reference any threats like that. So we really want to watch when we notice culture changing definitions of words because changing language and changing definitions is a symptom of an attempt to change truth, basically. So normally we think about risk or we think about safety as being associated with risk. We're safe um, in comparison to facing some risk. But what's really the risk in this scenario? Well, the risk is of being offended because someone disagrees with you based on their own personal religious convictions. But is that really something we would associate with safety? Not normally, but really what's actually a risk here is for the people who are at a risk of losing their jobs because they're in a country that lost its freedom of speech and freedom of religious practice. So we want to be careful to watch what's actually going on here. Right. I think, you know, it actually... It really, like she said, it's loss of freedoms. It's, you know, for people then that do believe in God, that do want to live out those biblical standards, you know, if all of those are eliminated from public schools, that's really going to shift the the influence and the impact that we can have in the culture. Um, And so, again, it's a matter of free speech. And it's, it's kind of alarming to think that because of what you believe, which is exactly the opposite of, you know, we weren't allowed to exclude anyone based on their beliefs, and yet that table has been turned um, to exclude us. It's really a double standard, and we see this a lot. Like, it's, you know, it's okay for them to discriminate against Christians, right? I mean, there's always going to be some level of quote-unquote discrimination going on. So it's just kind of the question of who do, the, who do you want to discriminate against, so to speak? And like I said, there's not been anything that there's been no complaints, zero, right, from these students that have went into these schools and taught, and yet they're bringing this up because they can go to the school's website, the ACU's uh, website, and read this information that they stand on the word of God, and that now is a problem in the public um, space, right? They said, and in the article too, they were like, basically, it's okay for you to practice your religion, but the idea is practice it in private, right? We don't want it in public. Now, ACU, um, I saw an article today that they have now sued um, the Washington School District, which is good, and they should, um, with the Alliance Defending Freedom, because this is a clear um, uh, problem for freedom of religion, and so that's why I really encourage people, you know, we got to fight back. You know, we want to keep these freedoms for 
as long as we can, so to speak. And so it's good to see that they're fighting back and we, and we need to pray for them that they will be able to be successful in this. Yeah, absolutely. And it, one way to do that is to really pay attention to historical trends of when we've seen Christians being persecuted in past regimes in different places. There's three hallmarks you can see right back from the ancient church all the way up through World War II and the French Revolution before that up to the present. So number one is that persecution against Christians is often framed as a safety issue. It's something to do with national security um, because even in other scenarios, when uh, you want to convince people to allow for evil in their country, the quickest way to do that is to frame it as this is for security reasons. You have to let this evil happen. So that's the first thing to watch out for. Second, be aware that persecution doesn't usually just switch on overnight. It is a gradual process. You can see this all the way back in the ancient church. Um, it's not that just suddenly Christians are being thrown to the fires or whatever. It starts out as a series of steps of the cult or the state asking Christians to compromise with God's word in order to accommodate the surrounding culture. And that's the third thing is what's going on that you often see is the question is what is your ultimate authority? Is it God or is it the culture slash the state? Because often back in Rome, say, you were allowed to be a Christian or to practice Christian things so long as you incorporated, say, the emperor worship or the other cultural things going on into your worship of Jesus. So then the state had to be your ultimate authority where culture and God's word conflicted. But Christianity doesn't allow for that kind of compromise. When culture conflicts with God's word, we are called to side with God's word and to follow Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting too. They said um, that they respect the right for individuals to practice their own faith, public schools or secular institutions. But the thing is, is that we need to understand nothing is a religious or non-religious, right? It's just what religion is being practiced. That this public schools are practicing secularism or humanism, right? And not allowing any of these other ideas basically to be a part of that is a religion in and of itself. It's just what religion are you going to allow, so to speak, in the That's public so schools? Right. Okay, watch, watch. Disney wokeifies Peter Pan in reboot featuring girls as members of Lost Boys. Okay, so uh, here we go again, okay, especially with Disney. And we continue to see this over and over again, taking these classic stories, okay, that were written by individuals in a particular way, and they're wokeifying them, right? They're making them acceptable, so to speak, by today's standards. And um, one of the things in this new one, and I actually watched the trailer to this, and um, uh, some of the lost boys are now girls, okay? So when in the trailer, when Wendy first sees this group of individuals, boys and girls that are coming to her, she says, but you're not all boys. And the angry woke reply, one of the girls says so, like with an attitude, <laughs> and it's just like it totally kill. It totally changes the basic storyline of Peter Pan, all in the name of well, we have to be acceptable to the culture that we live in today. It does remind me a little. I think recently we did an article covering how they were changing Roald Dahl's storybooks, and and again, it's like our, how do we protect? a body of literature, a body of artistic work um, that represent culture throughout time. Um, it, it's rewriting history, basically. And so I, I think that's the question is, um, what are the protections for the authors or the screenwriters? Or um, I think, you know, cultures can choose to show it or not, but ultimately, you know, do they have the right to change? Right, right. For to sure. change that work. 
It is kind of a, a picture of how feminism works, though, because it's like, ladies, guess what? You can be as lost as the boys, but is that the kind of equality you actually want? <laughs> so there's that issue. But then also when you start erasing um, the boundaries between genders, not that you can really do that, but when you act as though you can, that erases the foundation for feminism too, so you end up actually undermining what you're trying to stand on, and it just shows you the need for just going with um, the, the system of reality God has put in place. But it was also a picture, I thought, of how there are so many people in who are lost in the darkness of our culture, and that's one reason why we're called to share our hope in Christ, who's the light of the world. And we can expect, I mean, if you've been wandering around in the dark, lost for a while, when you see the light, it's going to hurt your eyes. You're going to react to it. But don't be um, taken aback, I guess, by people reacting to it. We can see that back if you read uh, John chapter 3. People don't like the light, but we still need to share the light because that is where the hope of, of life in Christ comes from. Mm-hmm. You know, and and, oh, no, you go ahead. In the article, too, you know, it talks about some other uh, screenwriting that Disney has wokeified, and that basically they have not done well at the box offices. And so, really, we do um, vote with our decisions. You know, if we choose to attend and subscribe and do all the things to support this kind of culture, then that's the kind of thing that's going to. But if we, we say, no, we're not going to stand up for this, we're not going to do this kind of thing, then, you know, they're going to get the message, and hopefully that would change again, too. Yeah, and I think Disney in many ways is appealing to a vocal minority. They're not really appealing to the majority of people. And they're, they're seeing that. They're getting, their finances are being hit hard. They, lay, they laid off 7,000 people last month, and they lost 2.4 million subscribers to Disney Plus, um, supposedly because of the rate hike. <laughs> um, but I have a feeling there's more to it um, than that. And so, um, and they're no longer um, a self-governing district in Florida either. So lots of things are being... Um, are hurting Disney where it hurts, so to speak, in their pocketbook. And that's one of the ways in which we can speak. Another way is to, um, we have a streaming platform here at Answers on Genesis called Answers.tv. It's only $3.99 a month. I highly encourage you to um, subscribe to that because it's family-affirming, faith-building programs. We have a lot of our own original programming. Um, We partner with like-minded ministries really to bring you quality um, original TV shows um, and also movies and just all kinds of conferences, all kinds of things on there. I think there's, I don't even, I've lost count of how many things More than 5,000. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's over like 5,000. So mm-hmm. there's lots on there to explore. And so I hope that you'll take advantage of that. And by subscribing, it gives us more income to be able to do more of these kinds of shows because we really desire, when we see things like this from Disney, we want to be able to give you the exact opposite of that, yeah. right? Something Counter really good that. that aligns with God's work. Mm-hmm. All right, scientists discover massive forbidden planet that shouldn't exist. Now, why shouldn't it exist, Patricia? (laughs) Well, it's really not the planet's fault that it exists. So this isn't a problem with the planet. It's a problem with the assumptions that a lot of scientists from the secular world, based on evolutionary ideas, had had that don't align with the fact of this planet existing. So scientific models are supposed to be able to predict things. And when you see something in physical reality that contradicts your prediction, that usually means you need to go back and adjust your models. But that's not really what happened here is it? Yeah. Well, I think what's awesome is, you know, we are creators made in the image of God and we are creating these telescopes and these techniques to, to even be able to discover a giant planet somewhere way out there in the universe. And so to me, that's, that's just amazing testimony to God himself. Um, but with those, basically what they do is they've, um, they've got these transit times that as the, 
So planets go around their sun, and I am not an <laughs> astronomer. She's a physiologist. So I'm a physiologist. <laughs> but in basically, as it passes through its sun, it, it, there's a transit time that they can record with this instrumentation. And based off that, they've discovered that this planet is basically 40% the size of its sun, which is huge in comparison to its sun. And so they have this idea that planets form from debris that spins out of its major star, its sun. And so uh, this, they're struggling because that little dwarf star shouldn't be big enough to have generated the size of planet that they're seeing. Right. And so that um, very well from a non-astronomer summarizing that. And so um, again, this is the thing when we're dealing with um, historical science, and that's those are based on things like I said that have happened in the past. And so um, our assumptions and what we believe about the past greatly um, greatly affect how we interpret what we see today. And so when we start with God's word, we know that God made the stars, the planets, all of that on day four. Um, he called them very good. And so they, they were, they're only about 6,000 years old. They didn't have to form slowly over millions of years, right? They were just instantaneously formed um, by God, fully formed, fully functioning. And as a result, we find that today. And we see this great diversity, like you were kind of talking about. We see this great diversity that God has created. It's not just one way, so to speak. Just like we see a multitude of different flowers or different trees and created things here on earth, we even see that in the heavens as well. And so it's exciting to be able to find these new things that are really, um, again, really, really are hard for evolutionary um, ideas to be able to define and understand. Mm -hmm. It actually takes quite a bit of faith to mm -hmm. hold to evolutionary ideas in the face of this sort of contrary observations. For instance, one of the quotes from the article was, there just isn't enough material in the primordial disks like um, where the planets are supposedly coming from, from uh, for such M-dwarf stars to form in a timely manner. But wait a minute. Mm -hmm. It's only a, not in a timely manner if you go in with evolutionary long-age assumptions in the first place. If you don't have those, it's not a problem. And then it shows you the faith involved in that they're hoping that by studying the planet's atmosphere in the future, they can come up with some sort of story about about the past to explain away the observations that they're seeing. But again, that's not a sign of a good scientific model if you have to explain away the things coming up that contradict it. Yeah. And I, I think just a caution too, that so often as the general public, um, we're led to believe that these ideas are, are firmly proven, whether it's evolution of mankind or the formation of planets and stars. But so every time you see these kind of headlines that say it's going to rewrite what we think about, you know, those are just your flags that they're really just have ideas and they're just trying to grasp at how these things could have happened in the absence of a God. And yet it's so much more easily explained by the by yeah. the presence of a creator God. Well Definitely. said. So this next story kind of goes along with this next article. Exploring the multiverse could be the key to finding the best conditions for life. Okay. This is our weekly installment of basically how do we find life out there or why is it we're not finding life out there, okay? Um, and, and they always, over and over again, we see them trying to come up with how do we explain the fact that the idea that okay, we're here on planet Earth and life evolved in four and a half billion years, okay? But the universe is much older than that. It's about 15 billion years old. So if, if life evolved here, life should have evolved somewhere else because there's been even more time right? That's the idea. So where are all these aliens, right? Where is all this life out there? And so one of the ways this, this article talks about explaining this is maybe there's these multiple universes and it's there, but it's just another universe, which we have no idea how to find or detect. But anyway, that's, that's what explains it. 
Yep, and even just from the headline of the article, I thought it was kind of funny because it talks about exploring the multiverse as if the multiverse is an actual physical place you can explore, but it's just an imaginary hypothetical thing that you have to have faith to believe in because there's, there's not, it's not like no there's evidence. evidence for it. You can't test it. So they were, uh, the scientists were saying that, well, we can imagine these hypothetical what-if universes where we can change certain properties like um, just different physical constants, whether that's the speed of light or the mass of an electron, and then we can explore the consequences of what that would look like with mathematical equations. But there's a bunch of weird assumptions going on there. So they're expecting that different universes will have different physical laws and different constants, but they're expecting that math and logic will still work the same way in those other universes, even though even in our universe, math and logic actually presuppose the existence of God. Uh, there's a really great article on our website if you want to learn more. It's called um, God and Math, How God is the Ultimate Foundation for Mathematics. And it, ex it explains how math has to, um, be, to rest on something outside of itself, which requires a self-existent being or God. So they really have to believe in God to even explain how their ideas could work. You know, we just discussed in the last article, or the one about Peter Pan, um, how the entertainment industry really can be on the forefront of shaping the thought of society. And um, so just even today, I heard um, they had the Golden Globes last night, and the big winning movie was called um, Everything Everywhere All at Once. I'd, I had not even heard of it, actually. I don't know if you've seen it or heard of it, but it's about the multiverse. And that's also a concept that they put into a lot of like the Marvel films that these things that are very popular again with young people. And um, so again, it's just a way to kind of shape this idea of something that's completely hypothetical, but maybe they come away believing there's more truth in it than there actually has been evidence for. Yeah, very true. And one of the things they say in this article, you know, in studying our own universe, they said physics is governed by rules, okay? And so I'm like, well, that's interesting. It is, that's true. But rules require a rule maker, all right? Rules don't come about by random chance. And they, they also talk about the complexity um, of life on Earth. Well, yeah, how does complexity come about, right? Again, complexity doesn't come about by random chance. There has to be a designer to design these things. Um, that's just, that's just common sense, right? And, and so, um, and so they're, I think they're, it's almost like when I read the article, I felt like they're struggling a little bit with that. You know, they, they can see all this complexity, all these rules. So what would that look like in another, um, universe, you know, by random chance, Technically, it doesn't have to look anything like it does here. It could be totally different. And that's one of their other reasons why they don't think we can find life out there is because life is so different that we don't even have the tools to be able to detect it. That's another reason why we can't find it. All right, right? They're always going to come up with some reason as to why we're unable to find it when the reason is that, again, God created the earth and he created it to be inhabited, not any other place to our knowledge. So, and as these scientists, these intelligent beings, you know, try to imagine what these different universes could look like, they make the comment, to explore the hypo these hypothetical universes, we have many dials we can adjust. And so, again, um, it's intelligent beings tweaking things to get to settings that they think could support life. Um, and so, really, they're inserting almost themselves into this godlike role. Yeah. That's very right. True. Yep, and they talk about how much the universe that we do have here, everything seems very finely adjusted mm. to support life. So that should be a little bit telling right there, but... Yep. 
All right, Michigan Senate votes to add LGBTQ protections to anti-discrimination law. And so um, this is something that we all need to be very aware of and watching um, just not too far from here. Uh, So the Michigan Senate voted 23 to 15 to expand state civil rights. So the state civil rights now include sexual orientation and gender identity. So it used to just be what we're used to hearing, you know, race, gender, meaning male and female, Um, you know, those kinds of things. But now it's been extended to this and there are no religious exemptions in this bill. Um, And so they don't expect Whitmer, Governor Whitmer is definitely going to sign it. And so that means that in the state of Michigan, if let's say a Christian school or any Christian organization says we're not going to hire somebody because they're LGBTQ, then that's discrimination. That's going against their civil rights. And so then that individual would have a right to school have a right to sue that place of business, whatever it might be, because of that. Yeah, and one of the quotes that stood out to me from what the senator was saying is he said, there should be no conflict between sexual orientation and religion. So you don't want to miss what, something that he did there was basically saying that there's only one type of religious practice that's valid, and that's the kind that doesn't contradict with what the culture, in this case the state, is saying, which again goes back to what we saw in that first article. And another quote, he said um, that the bill was going to allow people to live a true, authentic, fulfilling life. So that whole idea that there's this, um, there's truth and the authority for truth is your inner feelings, your inner identity. And by living authentically with that inner identity, that's the highest good. And feeling should basically be the authority for truth. Those ideas trace back to a guy back in the 1700s called Jean-Jacques Rousseau. And he also advanced a form of totalitarianism. So basically, humans should be God and the state should control society. And if you don't agree, you can get the death penalty and all this stuff. Um, If you're interested in learning more about that and more where those ideas come from, there's a couple of articles, again, on our website about Rousseau that kind of explain all that. But that's another thing to watch out for. Where are these ideas coming from? Basically, the reason why um, culture wants to punish um, living according to God's word in this case is by um, not going along with someone else's identity of who they believe they are, you're breaking a cultural blasphemy law, which is the idea that feelings should be the authority for truth, and specifically the feelings of people who are considered oppressed minorities, which goes back to another thing we often talk about, cultural Marxism. Again, lots more on our website about that. You know, and one of the Republican senators also makes the comment, and it kind of is speaking the obvious. He says that the bill goes too far because it seeks to protect one group of people at the expense of others. And so, again, it's kind of like we were just saying. It's, it's, they're, they're just really two different religions. You know, you're, you have two strongly set values of belief or sets of belief. And um, so, really, which belief is, are we going to allow to be perpetuated in our culture? Yeah, it was interesting. They tried to get at it. They tried to amend the bill to add religious orientation, religious identity, and religious expression as part of the civil rights, and mm-hmm. that failed. Okay, so again, but it's really not that in, in the essence. I mean, a religion is being promoted, right? A re- the secular religion or sexualism, humanism, that's being promoted at the expense of Christianity. Um, and so that's really what um, all of these are against. It's not necessarily just... Um, religion as a whole, it's really against Christians specifically um, because of what God's word says on these issues. And one of the things um, they said in here, it said, um, one of the senators said um, that religious people should not be forced to do things against our will. 
Okay, here's what we have to remember as we continue in this. You're not forced to do anything against your will, all right? Um, if I was the head of a Christian school and I have the right to choose who should and should not be hired. Now, according to Michigan law, I may be penalized if I don't hire certain people, but that's okay because I have to obey God's word above man's, right? I always have to obey that first and foremost. So we're never forced to do anything against our will. It's just we have to realize that there may be consequences for that, and we have to prepare ourselves for that, right? And, and we need to do that because this is, a, this is a reality, right? A state in the United States has now passed this, right? And it's just, um, we were talking about in the Ministry of Truth, and if you've read the book 1984 by George Orwell, you're, it's literally becoming reality um, in the world that we live in. And so it's important. I hope that there will be challenges to this. I hope it will go to the Supreme Court. I hope this will be um, overturned there and this won't be a thing, but these are the things that we're up against. Yeah, that's right. So what can you do to prepare in that way? Well, you, you had a really good suggestion and that was, well, I'll let you tell, I'll let you tell that one. But one thing that I want to highlight is if you read, say, biographies, autobiographies of people in the persecuted church who've gone through this type of thing before, there's three things that always come up as being important. They're things that from talking to Christian students around the world in hard places and secular universities, these are valid. Build your spiritual foundations, memorize God's word, get to know God, <laughs> get strong in prayer. Second, learn some apologetics and critical thinking skills for defending why your worldview, your biblical beliefs are true and worth defending. And then finally, plug into solid Christian community. Surround yourself with like-minded believers who can work together on this. Make up your mind to stand firm and follow Christ and... And evangelize. <laughs> That's right. You know, honestly, if, if, uh, if the majority is going to hold in a democratic state, then the majority, we want the majority to know. And that's our job as the church is to go and let the people know that there's hope yeah. in, a, in a Christ. That's in, the in solution. God. Absolutely. That's <laughs> that the is answer. the ultimate solution is the gospel. And so mm-hmm. we need to do that. All right. So some good news, right? Not just all bad news. Tennessee governor signs laws banning drag queen shows and gender transitions for children. So this is, I'm like, praise the Lord. Thankful for good legislators, good government that basically protects children. And that's exactly what they're doing. Um, I never thought I'd see the day when there would have to be a law <laughs> that would ban minors from watching drag queen. Um, in libraries or other performances, but hey, it's good that they're putting those things in place and not allowing minors to have um, any kind of surgery or any kind of hormone. Um, and um, so it, it's just, it's good to see. This is why we say when our vote counts, our vote's important. It is because it's very important and it's important for Christians to be able to serve in these capacities because they can make a difference um, when, when they're there and can make these kinds of decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes back to the idea that if you are concerned about protecting vulnerable populations, which is usually how um, bills to the contrary are framed, we should be concerned about protecting kids from sexual exploitation. And that's really what these bills are doing. You know, this article talked, too, about um, an expose, uh, Daily Wire podcaster, um, Matt Walsh. Maybe you've seen some of his work, but he did this expose on Nashville's Vanderbilt University Medical Center, and he really drew attention to what was going on in these transition surgeries and what was being done to minors and some of the long-term impacts of this. Um, And through that... um, the lawmakers demanded answers from this institution following that bombshell report, and that led to the institution's decision to pause its so-called gender-affirming procedures for minors. So there is the ability to speak into these things and to cause enough public outcry that changes can be made. 
And one of the things, too, that they brought up was that um, children don't need these medical procedures. What they need is help, right? They need counseling. Because many times what you find is these children have um, suffered some sort of abuse in their past or these teenagers. Um, something has um, potentially, not all the time, but um, a lot of the time there's something that has triggered this. And so these, these people need help. Now, ultimately, like say, they need the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. First and foremost, they need, they need the gospel um, to be able to help them through this. Um, whatever it is they're struggling with and treat it as a, um, a disorder, a mental health issue, a spiritual issue, whatever it might be, that we need to help these individuals, not just allow them to continue in their sin and not help them in their sin, so to speak, but instead to really get to the root of the problem and help the individual so that this doesn't happen. So. It goes on to say they need love and support, and many of them need to be able to grow up to become the individuals that they were intended to be. And I just think so often of, like, kids that I knew growing up, or even how I was as a little Tom girl, you know, running around, not wanting to wear dresses or whatever. But, you know, are we going to, which way are we going to direct our kiddos? You know, just affirming in them in a direction or allowing them to just grow up and realize, no, I'm a young woman, you know? Well said. Absolutely. What God designed them to be. That's the most important thing. All right, new analysis of ancient human protein could unlock secrets of evolution. All right, so this deals with the area of proteomics and azogenesis. Um, I have some interest in that area. So basically, it's a study that's been around for a while, proteomics, but now they're applying it to fossils. So what they're going to try to do is to get um, proteins from human fossils and or whatever they think they are (laughs) um, in that lineage to get that and analyze them and then be able to um, understand the relationships between those so they know kind of what the fossil evidence is showing us as far as human evolution um, is concerned. But what are some of the problems with that, Patricia? (laughs) Well, first of all, they're starting with these evolutionary assumptions, right? When you start with the wrong assumptions, you get the wrong conclusions. We say that a lot. So in this case, they're talking about studies that they're going to be doing in the future. So some things to watch out for. Number one, what's the observational science? So they're going to be observing similarities and differences within these proteins. But then the historical science is they are going to rewrite or retell different evolutionary stories based on what they're seeing. So we need to think about how do we look at the same observations through a biblical lens. And a lot of what it's going to come down to is thinking about the different variety in this case of protein structure, like different little variations in proteins that God built into kinds of living things. So in this case, the human kind. That doesn't prove evolution at all. It actually supports a biblical model because we'd expect there to be a good amount of genetic and, in this case, um, protein variation in ancient humans. And then some of that variation would have gotten a little bit sorted out or filtered out as uh, time goes on and populations divide. So just uh, watch out for those types of things. Separate fact from assumption and remember that God's word will stay to reason every single time. Absolutely. Kaya, Kaya's like, I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> well, um, and so I think what we need to understand, again, again, we're not denying that things like denosovans and Neanderthals, that there's this variety within humankind, but they are fully human, right? There's no question about that. And all of this is based on, you know, how they put proteins together, how they decide relationships. It's all based on evolutionary ideas that they've decided, well, this should be here and this should be here. And how does this tell us then this and, and how this relates? And so it's all based on those assumptions. And if your assumptions are wrong, then the outcome of those 
how you interpret the evidence and understand the evidence is going to be wrong as well and very problematic. So, um, so it is interesting though. I mean, I think from, from my perspective as a geneticist, DNA is very fragile and they typically can't um, get that in any kind of form that's going to work. Jurassic Park, never going to happen. Okay, just saying. So uh, the DNA is just too fragile. So it's interesting to study the proteins and to see how, you know, people maybe 4,000 years ago or whatever, um, at the time of the, you know, right after the flood, how maybe some of their proteins were different from our proteins today, how mutations have affected things. I mean, that's a worthwhile study, but we want to do it from the right perspective to really understand it rightly. Okay, so we have a couple of books that we want to tell you about. Uh, the first one is The Gender and Marriage War, and so we've talked a lot about the LGBTQ issues today. This is a great little book that has lots of short chapters in it, really defining some of these issues and what really the, some of the, I've written some chapters in there on the scientific response, but then also what is the biblical response to those things and how do we love people and help them understand, you know, their sin to speak the truth in love basically and to evangelize them. And then Glass House, um, we talked a little bit here at the end about human evolution. This goes through a lot of the major evolutionary myths and tells you the problems with those, again, from a, a scientific and a biblical perspective. Um, I've written a couple chapters in here on um, the relationship between apes and humans, you know, supposedly that humans evolved from some ape-like creature, but that, again, the evidence does not, definitely did not bear that out. And then lastly, we have Prepare to Thrive. So I'm going to let Patricia talk about <laughs> her book, and right. then we're going to tell you about a course as well. Okay, so cool. So, so yeah, so this is a survival guide for Christian students and their parents going to university, whether that's Christian or secular, written for um, students at secular university, but there's so much compromise in Christian ones. It applies there too. And the last um, part of the book goes over those three foundations I talked about that's important and how you can build those, actually the last two-thirds of the book. So really applies to all um, Christians, lots of practical information in there. Encourage you to check it out. We uh, try to keep the prices as cheap as possible and give even a bulk discount so that you can give it out to lots of different young people, get it for a whole youth group. We want to get this into people's hands. So that's available. Oh, and there's a study guide coming out for that, Lord willing, later this year as well. And there's a great um, online course that Patricia has developed called um, Critical Thinking Scan. And so this is available through our online courses. You can scan the QR code there or there's a link. And um, you can go to that and you can register for this class. It's great for high school students or above uh, to really learn how to think critically. So a lot of the ideas that are in that book are also in this course. And so it's a great, great tool for um, everyone out there. And then we also have coming up in 2024, Explore the Galapagos Islands. So if you are interested in going on a trip to the Galapagos and understanding it from a biblical worldview and a biblical perspective, I highly encourage you to sign up for our trip. Um, I, registration will be live soon. I got to visit there back in 2011. It was amazing. So if you want, if you want any encouragement, just ask me um, because I'm happy to give it because it, it truly is an amazing trip. Um, so a couple of our experts from here will be traveling down there with you and um, help you be able to understand that properly. So we are out of time for today. So we'll see you here next Monday. Thanks for coming. Have a great day.